Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right. Thank you, Barb. Thank you, Miss Mary. Thank you, Rob. Um, thank you, Stanleys. All of these people who I'm just so privileged every week to be able to serve with. Um, I love being able to see their faces on the screen uh, each week. Obviously, I would love to be in person with all of you. Um, we're in Advent now. Um, so if you are waiting for somebody to give you official permission to put up your Christmas lights, I would love this year for people to go like 200% Christmas. So um, put your lights up. Let's let's have uh, let's have that. I love driving down the street and being able to see that. And I think that um, a lot of people's souls could could use it. Um, and also, we are in the New Testament 2020 plan that we started at the beginning of the year before we knew that we were going to be um, having our church gatherings on screens. Um, we have been journeying all the way from Matthew, and now we are in our final. Uh, book. We are starting the book of Revelation today. Um, I know for a lot of you, um, it may be very strange to be looking at the book of Revelation during Advent. And so I want to make sure that we get off on a, on a good start. Uh, with that, I want to also acknowledge, I know that they announced uh, that I am going to be taking over doing the teaching pastor position. Um, and I, and I'm very excited about that. And also to just give you all an intro, I was a teaching pastor for a college group for about eight years before coming to LBCF. And so teaching is something that I've always been really passionate about. Um, and hopefully as I continue, um, to do this, that I would journey with you in learning how to ask better questions, how to become Bible literate because I think what we can actually do, what we see is that when we learn how to read the text, it opens up new life for us and it shows up in our real lives when we um, learn how to read it well, that it actually moves from just being something in our head to something that that really um, shows up in our lives. And so I want to pull up a slide and I want to read our text for today and we will be reading um, the book of Revelation, uh, not Revelations. This is Revelation because this is a revelation of a person of Jesus Christ. And so I want to read chapter one, verses one through three. Um, Matt, can we make that slide larger and my face smaller? Perfect. Um, all right. And then we'll read chapters, uh, chapter one, verses one through three, and then chapter four. It says the rev revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the, uh, and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it because the time is near. And this is uh, chapter four. After this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. 
At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. A rainbow shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. And they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, Honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. So, we are going to be getting into now the book of Revelation. I'm very excited about this. This was one of the books that I um, actually had very specific study in when I was in college. And so I would, I'm would i very excited to try and impart some of what I learned there because it helped make a lot of sense out of a book that in my experience has been really um, misunderstood and, and at worst it's been misused um, by a lot of Christian culture, um, and it has planted a lot of fear in what we see when we look at the heavenly realms. And what John is talking about is that we can have faith that we have a all-loving and powerful God holding all of eternity. And so, I want to make sure that um, that we get a good container to hold all of what we learn about in Revelation. And so, what we'll see here, um, kind of the main point is that when we look at this book for the next few weeks, um, there are a lot of familiar echoes of the Old Testament. So, this prophetic apocalyptic genre is something that, even though it's it's kind of new and strange to us, is something that the original audience would have been very comfortable with. This was language that they would have heard growing up reading things orally, um, that, that when they were in school, they would have learned the books of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all of these prophets that use this, this very massive heavenly imagery is something that they are, are really comfortable with. And so even though for us, what ends up happening is, is we try and decipher the code, what ends up happening is we pay more attention to the signs than we do where the signs are pointing. Um, as I was talking with Matt last night, it was like we, uh, and I was just kind of rummaging through all of the ideas in my head of what to teach on. Um, it it became obvious to me that what ends up happening is, um, imagine you're driving on a 
freeway, where the sign is pointing you is actually what's important is what's important. What the sign is pointing to is the emphasis. And so when we look at the signs and we look at all of this imagery, we have to make sure that we are paying attention to what it's pointing us to, that there is actual theological significance in what it's trying to have us look at. And so the emphasis, as we see in this book, is not much different than what we see throughout all of text, throughout all of the Bible, and that is that the the action that we are called to is in this life, and that we have hope and trust in a loving and powerful God that holds the future. So this letter, the, these first four chapters, John sets up this this the this letter that was meant to be sent to seven churches. Um, and there's some very particular things that they are dealing with. And we will, um, we'll just kind of touch on some of that. I would encourage you to go read that because um, I think what's important that we can gain from this is that John really calls these churches to have a sober, open-eyed look at both what they get right and what they get wrong. Because what we want to do is constantly submit all of that to God for trans transformation to for because uh, all of that is something that needs to be made new so what we see today and what we'll read for all of advent should hint at some of those same notes that we see um when we read jesus the idea um is that we are in the midst of his kingdom making all things new now so his kingdom is at hand his kingdom is not sometime in the future when he when he said that we are participating in eternal life when does eternity start? It starts now. It starts the minute you say yes. Our eternal lives are happening currently. We are in a physical body which will die away, but our eternal lives are now, which is why we see things like sowing and reaping. The idea is that while the reaping is something that may happen in our lives or after, our responsibility is the sowing. That is what we are called to be faithful and then that we release the the need to control the the need to make things happen we trust that to an all-powerful loving god who can who can divvy up justice and mercy and peace as he sees fit because he's the only one that's capable of of knowing how to do that rightly i'm glad that i'm not in control of that because i know all of my anger feels like righteous anger <laughs> so if it was up to me um, there would be a lot of people, depending on the day, who would be in really bad shape. Um, so we, re re we release our preoccupation with the future and with the judgment to God's hands. Um, I want to tell a quick story. When uh, Before all of the travel got shut down this year, um, one of the other things that I do for work is I'm a photographer and I was working with Switzerland, and this is not a means to brag on myself, but it was pretty sweet. Um, I had the opportunity to travel to Switzerland and take pictures of Switzerland. It's not a hard job, but um, the it was, it was rough because it was over the Super Bowl, and I'm a 49ers fan, and my team was in the Super Bowl, and so I had to find some way to find... Um, enough internet to get updates on the Super Bowl. I wanted to watch it when I wasn't able to. And there was a time delay because of this hotel I was at. Um, long story short, I could still get texts in real time. And people knew that I was really excited about um, 
about this game. And so it was the first quarter and I was trying to, I was feverishly updating my phone, trying to get an update. And I, I got a text that just had all ex, ex, exclamations and, and people were happy. And I didn't know in real time um, that a touchdown had just happened, but somebody texted me and ruined it, but I was feeling anxious about it. So it felt good to have the end of that ruined. Um, but I, um, I don't know if for you, if you've ever had the ending of a movie you wanted to watch ruined for you ahead of time. I want to say that the Bible ruins the end for us. <laughs> the Bible has ruined the ending. We know where this is all headed. And with the Bible having ruined the ending for us, how does that call us to live now? Because I think what Rev Revelation does, it ruins the ending so that we don't live in this perpetual fear of will this all play out? We don't have to live in the perpetual fear of will justice actually show up? We don't have to live in fear that our good works will go unseen. We don't have to live in that, that fear of not knowing that there's something that provides us comfort, like somebody texting us the end of that touchdown drive that says, don't worry, this is all going to end well for you. And I'm not saying that, uh, that this all ends well for everybody. I'm saying that God, who is loving and capable of deciding how that plays out, has it. And that because we are freed up from having to hold that future, that we can fully embrace now. And I think that even what we see in, in the Advent, in the first coming of Jesus, his example to us is that he was willing to, to let go of those heavenly places to be present with right now. That if we look at Jesus's life as an example of the perfect human experience, it is still passionately involved in now regardless of, of how things will go in the future. Because as we sow now and we are passionate about what's happening here, that actually plays out in times to come. But unfortunately, what I've seen, especially with how we, um, with how we treat this book, um, that it leads a lot of people to fear. And, for, and uh, there's a lot of reasonable reasons that they do that. Um, and I think that one of the things that I don't want to have anyone walk away from here hearing is, is that if, if the way that you've heard this book explained to you is that it's some code book for in a, some way to help you read the supernatural things happening in the newspaper or try to put code or try and place a time stamp on when God will come back. Um, I know that that's a lot of how it was explained to me and it leads a lot of people into this anxious place, which I don't think lines up with the rest of how we read the Bible. Um, that there was a time last year and I've shared this before, but I had a lot of fear around my family's health this year definitely hasn't helped with kind of coping with that anxiety. But, um, I, I, my, imagination of, of what might happen was going out of control. And I, I had to one, I had to deal with the fact that that fear was coming from a place, not just of, it wasn't always reasonable. Sometimes it was out of control. And so the best way that I could handle that was to bring in an expert, to bring in a doctor to provide clarity for me. Because what ends up happening is um, if I take on that fear 
even though I felt like some of it was reasonable, it actually ended up making me a worse parent, not a better one. I had a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons why living with this fear was, I, I could explain to everybody that it was out of love for my kids, out of love for my wife, um, wanting to protect my house, but ultimately had to deal with the fact that that fear was coming from someplace within me. And the more that I leaned on that, the less it actually made me available to be present and to be the dad that my family needed me to be. And so I had to take control of where that fear was coming from inside of me. And so um, the fruit of how I was believing and the fruit of how I was living was bad. And so we have to be able to, like the Bible calls us to, we can look at the fruit and we can know where we have to be able to judge the fruit. We have to be able to look and say, is how I'm reading this book um, distracting me from the way that Jesus has called me to live non-anxiously, present with my neighbors? loving, invested, all of these ways that Jesus calls us to live is the way that I'm reading this book, taking me away from that. And if it is, we need to be able to be um, clear and we need to uh, look carefully at that. And so I want to quickly touch on um, some some big word things. Um, these are a lot of $10,000. I don't actually know what the original phrase is. Is it $100, $500? They're big words. They're words um, that are very top level, um, but they're important. And I think that um, I can I can trust all of, we have a lot of very intelligent people in our community. I want to touch on these because I think that they're really important to take with us as we study this book. Um, there's a word called hermeneutics, and that is the tools with which you study the Bible and understand it. And there are a lot of tools out there. And I want to make sure that um, we employ those. Um, and a lot of people call when we study revelation in particular, that we have a hermeneutic of humility, which means that we have to be formable and movable, and we have to be able to be wrong, um, because the book of Revelation has about four different schools of interpretation, and these are people who study this book their whole life, and there are very serious people who cannot come to a consensus on how to interpret this book, but they found a helpful way to, to look at it, and I want to talk about what that is. Um, there are four. There's a his, 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 historicist, which would say that the beast, as we will see, kind of talked about, would have been um, the Pope or Nero or a president or Hitler or they would have, have applied what these pictures were talking about to their modern day events. Um, and the problem with that is it makes what the scripture is talking about entirely relative. There's the preterist um, where the beast would have been Nero and it only paid attention to what was happening in the first century church. Um, the, there's the I idealist, which is kind of all of these pictures just paint a larger heavenly scene of good versus evil and that it actually doesn't have to do with um, earthly events. And then there's the futurist, which says all of these things are painting a picture of what will happen later. And that's the left behind sort of way of looking at it. And all of those have their strengths and really take it seriously in different ways. And they all have their weak 
Nisses, and one of the ways of reading it that I will encourage us is called the eclectic. And the eclectic tries to maximize the strengths of all of those and minimize the weak the weak but hopefully as we study it, that it would draw us into a continued passion in looking at how we are living our lives now. And so I want to, um, I want to just call to attention the fact that John, um, John is calling these people the way that Jesus calls us, the way that God calls us to face ourselves in reality. That these letter, this letter to these churches is filled with, I know that you're doing this right, but I have this against you. And he, he calls them to look at themselves critically, soberly, because the Bible actually calls us to reject condemnation. And we, we talk a lot about that we are, we are not condemned people, but I want to make sure that we remember the Bible also calls us to reject flattery. Condemnation and flattery are ways of, of talking that don't take into account the fact that we are often both. We're often doing something right and we're often doing something wrong. And when we look at ourselves in reality, we can actually submit both of those things to Christ. Uh, Matt, can you pull up that next slide for me, please? So we submit our bad and good works to God, who is making all things new now through his church, and we can have faith in his goodness for the rest. I'm going to read that one more time. We submit our bad and good works to God, who is making all things new now through his church, and we can have faith in his goodness for the rest. Awesome. So their response to these eternal realities we're an active partnership. God's making all things new. That is our theme for Advent, dream. I love that we that we talked about hope because I think what, what we need to do and what we can take from when we read this book is we need to open our imaginations. We need to allow ourselves to let this picture of Rev, Revelation 4 wash over us. The original readers would have heard this re- read aloud. And we need to allow that to wash over us. Jesus models this kind of immediate presence, this call to live now rightly in his life. And we celebrate that now in Advent. Uh, can I pull? Can we pull up uh, chapter four again? I just want to read that one more time. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pull a little bit of an audible here. Um, what we see here um, is... I mean, this year we've we've seen Zoom. Zoom has taught us to just clean up this box, right? That all you need to see. You, I mean, I you can trust me. I am wearing pants today, but I have been in many Zoom calls where I am wearing shorts and a dress-up shirt, and um, my bed right now has a bunch of my clothes on it, and my room is a wreck. And we are in my room right now. I mean, look, I have a bedsheet tacked to the wall. That's my background today is a bedsheet tacked to the wall. That's what we've learned to do this year is just clean up this little box that people can see. And the reality when we look at our own lives is we know that as we turn the lights on and we look at all of it, 
I think that's what Revelation is calling us to do is turn the lights on, look at all of it, admit where you're doing things rightly, admit where, where you are living as Christ would have you live for eternity, that you are bringing the kingdom in your life, in our community. Look at it soberly. That doesn't just mean that you, that you rag on yourself the whole time. But it means that you have to be open to admitting where you're doing things wrong, because what we have to do is is our job in in partnership in help in being the church, the only plan God had to bring His will on earth as it is in heaven, is that we would live open with open eyes, turn the lights on, and look at reality. I want to read this one more time because I think that what we end up doing is we read these things and we get caught up on one word or one image and we forget to, for for, for very specific genres of text, whether it's poetry or the, apoc- the, apoc- the apocalyptic or the prophetic, we are, we are supposed to let this text wash over us. And I think this is one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. I think it's it's probably the most important chapter in this book in particular. But um, would you close your eyes? And I will read this one more time. And I want you to, rather than being hung up on any one, any one image, I want to I want you to just try and picture using your imagination what we are hearing here. So close your eyes and take a deep breath. And I will read. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and pearls of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, day and night. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. So we submit all of our works to a loving God 
who's holding all things for us, that we are called to live presently, that we can release those things to hold on to right now, to live rightly now, to look at the life of Christ and know that that we can read this book in the exact same way that it's calling us to live presently and to trust that God holds us. And in the meantime, we can sing with the angels, holy, holy, holy. And with that, I want to pass it off to my friend, Rob Smith, who will uh, help lead us in song.